0: Good morning and welcome to Storehouse 7 Ministries with me, Chris Wicklund. Today we're carrying on through the book of Revelation, chapter 17, and this is part 2. Revelation 17, verse 5. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. In ancient Roman law, it was stated that all harlots must wear a headband, Uh, showing their name and this great harlot written here bears on her headband the mysterious name Babylon the Great the Mother of Harlots. In the early church around first and second century Rome was known as Babylon and that Rome was Babylon incarnate but it has always been understood as a mystery which means it is in part or it, it does in part transcend obvious concrete manifestations So in other words, it's not always going to be clear what Babylon is or could be because it's a mystery. Now, Babylon has always been a nation that stood against God and her people. Babylon has also always been a symbol of rebellion against God. From the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 verses 1 to 9 right through to Babylon the Great at the end of the age. Now Babylon is the mother of all abominations of the earth or it literally says in the Greek mother of all detestable things. Now this whore she is drunk on the blood of the saints. Now this is a perversity of the true cup of communion the true Eucharist cup where we drink the blood of Christ. Now I appreciate that this may raise some concerns for some uh, Christians listening to this Um, uh, and i I would say that i too you know i as as a protestant i always used to believe that that the cup of communion was you know it's in remembrance only but as i studied early church history and the writings or i'm just thinking of their names off the top of my head but some of the early church fathers from ad 100 um uh, like people like urrhenius etc i kind of realized from their writings that the church believing that the eucharist literally became the blood and the flesh of Christ. This is not a Catholic concept. Uh, transubstantiation is slightly different. But they, the early church believed that when they prayed over it, that it did become, somehow spiritually or physically, no one knows because it's a mystery. It became the body of, it became the flesh of Christ and the blood of Christ. And, uh, and this is what's written in first century documentation. And the, it, the irony is that it's what the church has always believed there's never been any inconsistency on this until the reformation and even during the reformation it was a contentious issue and eve and it's only really been the last 200 years that most protestant denominations have completely rejected anything to do with the communion being the actual blood uh, or presence of christ simply because it, it it smacks of catholicism and so they've completely rejected it but If you're listening to this this talk you need to understand that now you may not agree with me that's fine but you have to understand that the idea of the communion be being actually the the body and uh, blood of christ has always been a thing from day one in the church Jesus said so in John chapter 6 if you read it carefully and he made it very clear to his disciples that it wasn't some kind of metaphorical speech because he never clarified the point he left it hanging and lots of people deserted him that day because they couldn't cope with what he was saying because what Jesus was saying was literal you know Jesus is the bread that came down from heaven as the Jewish people used to eat of the Passover lamb in the Old Testament they physically ate the lamb Um, And as they physically ate the bread of heaven, the manna that came down, so Jesus said of himself, I am the bread of heaven. He who eats of me shall live forever. He who drinks my blood shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And now this may sound heinous to us in our modern day thinking, but this has always been a thing in all of Christendom from the beginning of time right through i mean i say in the, in the orthodox denomination the anglicans some anglicans believe it's the actual presence of god uh, christ and obviously the catholic church they've always believed it it's only the modern day protestants in the last 200 years who have stopped believing it and i have to concede the fact that if there's the church has, you know for two thousand years has always seen it as the flesh and the blood of christ then i'm not going to make conjecture or make opinions uh, against all of that weight of history and the weight of textual evidence that that's what the early church believed it just is what they believed and it's i can't get around that and so therefore i had to change my theology on communion and i'll be honest with you since i've been taking communion that way it's become even more rich and meaningful to me as uh you know as i'm partaking of that passover lamb and eating that passover lamb just as They did in the book of Exodus when they ate, literally ate the Passover lamb. Okay, so so this whore of Babylon, she is drunk on the blood of the saints, which is a perversity of the true cup of communion, the true Eucharist cup where we drink the blood of Christ. Here in her false religion, her communion uh, cup doesn't contain the blood of Christ, but the blood of Christ's martyrs. Verse six. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witness of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. Verse seven. And the angel said to me, why do you wonder? I will tell you of the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. We will explore a little more. On the meaning of this verse in uh, when we get to verses 9 and 10 and also listen and read the commentary uh, i'm writing and i've done on podcast on revelation chapter 13 which goes into more detail about the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns so it'd be good for you to recap on that if you don't remember verse 8 the beast you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction And those who dwell upon the earth whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will wonder when they see the beast that was and is not and will come. Verse eight starts with a mystery. The beast was, is not, and is about to come. Firstly, this is reminiscent of the title given to the true Christ. He that was, is, and is to come. The Antichrist, or as it literally says in the Greek, the pseudo-Christ, has similar aspects to the true Messiah, except that the pseudo-Messiah is an abomination. We know that the Antichrist was, is not, and is to come. We know that he dies from a mortal wound and is brought back to life again. We know that he comes from beneath, from the abyss. This false Messiah is anointed by demonic powers. The spirit that drives him is Satan, the one who has who was, sorry, the chiefest cherub, Ezekiel uh, 28, verse 14, in heaven. However, the true Messiah has not come to enslave, but to deliver and redeem. He is the eternal one. He was, is, and is to come. He died from crucifixion and came back to life. He comes from above, from heaven. The true Messiah is anointed king of the universe and has the spirit of his father within. He is the name above all names and all the angels worship him. So here you can just see briefly the comparisons between the Antichrist and the true Christ. There, There's sort of similarities, obviously the Antichrist is an abomination and the true Christ is blessed be his name forever, but you can see the similar parallels there. The beast who was and is not and is about to come. Here we come to a mystery. Here it is often assumed that the beast system is Rome and i.e. it was is no longer, but will be. Now, this is where we have to raise some interesting textual criticism here. So, because this will raise a few questions. Firstly, at the time of the vision, the empire of Rome was effectively at its strongest. It is not a system that was and is no longer. So uh, what I'm saying is when, when John received this vision, he received the words um, about this beast that what that that it was is no longer as in i.e. in current time but will be in the future okay and at the time of the vision the empire of rome was effective effectively at its strongest and it is not a system that was and is no longer so rome was operating when when the vision stated that it was not secondly it may be that the vision is set in the future when Rome has long gone, but will return again, hence it was, is not, and will be. Thirdly, but then here lies another objection. If the vision is purely from a future point of view, why does it not say that which was, was not, and is now? Okay, as opposed to that which will be. Okay, so, so we can see here from the textual criticism that this is already beginning to look like that it couldn't possibly be the empire of Rome for these reasons and these objections. Now, because of these questions and objections, I'm left to consider that the system to arise is may highly, probably, possibly not so much going to be about Rome, but the rise of ancient Babylon or possibly even something else. In Nebuchadnezzar's statue vision, the head of the statue was the world dominance of Babylon see Daniel chapter 2 about this and the other parts of the statue represent other Middle Eastern powers such as the Medes and the Persians and the empire which was the most powerful was that of Nebuchadnezzar it is the golden part of the image and thus the most supreme and it could be that we return to something of that kingdom again but weaker hence the iron feet mixed with clay remember also that the babylonian system <clears throat> like rome was a b system in that it was a governmental religious economic system i.e 666 also note the links to nebuchadnezzar his power and the mandatory worship of his image see daniel chapter 3 rome is a powerful contender but ancient Babylon seems a better fit to me personally, but it could be something even more ancient than that, I don't know, but I suspect that's the only great superpower in the past that's constantly been a thorn in the side for Israel, has constantly been um, an abomination to Israel, and clearly that the vision being given in Revelation doesn't seem to be paying attention to the fact that of the present tense of Rome as a power, it's talking about something that was that isn't currently but will be in the future and as i said it can't be the vision can't be well maybe the vision is talking about from a future point of view because if that was the case it would it, it would have been that which was was not but is now but it, the text doesn't state that it says that which was is not and will be referring to a future tense so the vision that john is getting is a is a present tense narrative because of the fact that it says that this kingdom was is not currently but will be in the future so as i said so rome is a powerful contender but ancient babylon seems like i said a better fit to me i know this goes against conventional thinking so do please bear that in mind you know my theory could be wrong but textually from a textual criticism point of view it's it doesn't make sense that it is rome or you know at that time revelation 17 verses 9 to 10 here is the mind which has wisdom the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits and they are seven kings five are fallen one is the other has not yet come and when he comes he must remain a little while now, as I stated at the beginning of this chapter, the arguments uh, that Babylon is a code word for Rome are, you know, they are weighted, to be fair. So, to be fair, I'll give some uh, more details on that here. So, Rome was widely known as the city set on seven hills, although I need to caveat here that according to verse 9 and 10, the seven hills are not geographical locations, rather they are kings kings and or kingdoms so to write on the page uh that rome was the whore of babylon may have been quite risky for the early church to write so they um they may have used babylon as a code word for rome historically babylon was a euphemism for rome in in the extra canonical writings of second Baruch. Uh, 11 chapter 11 verse 1 and and chapter 67 verse 7 and the Sibylline Oracles chapter 5 100 verse 143 and 159 in the Midrash Rabbah uh, uh, this is that's the Jewish commentaries of on Song of Solomon chapter 1 um, 6 paragraph 4 it states directly one calls Rome Babylon so this information alone gives some good weight to those who prefer the literal Rome option over literal Babylon. So I'm not, I'm not discrediting it. I'm just saying from a textual criticism point of view, it seems unlikely. However, the, the idea that it could be Rome is you've got a lot of weight on, you've got a lot of good textual evidence on your side as well. So I'm presenting you with both sides of the coin here. I'm not being dogmatic on this because I don't think that's fair. Uh, In verse 10, it states about the seven Kings, five have fallen, One is living now and the other is yet to come. Now this is a very difficult verse with lots of potential ideas because if Babylon is actually Rome or the Roman Empire, then the fallen could be the first five emperors of whom Nero was the last. Then came Vespasian who would be the sixth ruling from AD 69 to 79 AD. And thus living now at the time of the writing of the vision, Titus would be yet to come or some other emperor at the rise of Rome at the end of days. But again, we don't know. Verse 11, the beast, i.e. the Antichrist, which was and is not, is himself also an eighth and is one of the seven and goes to destruction. So here we have some interesting conundrums to deal with. Firstly, the beast was and is not. That means the beast appeared before but currently is not at the time of the writing of the vision. So again, a preterist argument that oh, this, the current, you know, the current uh, emperor was the Antichrist is not true. One, one beast we can see from history who was a good contender for the Antichrist who was, was Antio- Antiochus Epi- uh, Epiphanes. What a name, eh? Antiochus Epiphanes. He was around in about 1- AD 175 BC and came and desecrated the temple. He forced Jews to eat pork and convert to a pagan faith of the Greeks. He hung women and children from the same noose if women had their children circumcised. He did a lot to try and destroy the Jewish faith you either converted to his religion or you died any jews who moved into the wilderness to continue in their faith were often hunted down and slain on the sabbath because they wouldn't fight back because it was the sabbath the things antiochus epiphanes did was quite frankly absolutely abominable so the beast who was and is not disqualifies current as in the time of the writing of um, the vision Uh, the current Roman Emperor, because at the time of Roman rule, the beast was not, but will be, i.e. in some determined point in the great future. So I've been, that's what I've been going on about pretty much in this particular podcast, that it is, although the weight looks like it's Rome, it's looking more and more unlikely that it will be Rome. But it could be, I'm not saying it won't be, but it's looking unlikely. This is important to state as those who hold to a preterist argument that's fulfilled in AD 70 or filled in AD 90 historical argument because the book was historically they a preterist would say the book was historically fulfilled in around AD 90. But that cannot be true because the beast who was was not at the time of the disclosing of the revelation from Jesus. It just doesn't work. Doesn't fit. Also, the beast is an eighth and one of the seven, and this could be translated or interpreted one of two ways, either A, the six other kings or mountains were great leaders of the past, of which the Antichrist is the final seventh and the eighth, or... More preferably, B, the Antichrist is a ruler along with the other kings all alive at the same time, creating a powerful political alliance of which the Antichrist is the seventh and the eighth, the eighth being the kingpin to rule over the seven of which he is the seventh. Now, no one can say for certain which way it can be understood, but seeing verse 11 in the light of verse two um, basically gives us a certain way of looking at it will give us a useful caution to not jump to any conclusions incorrectly. It says in verse 12, the 10 horns, which you saw are 10 Kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as Kings with the beast for one hour. So I've just confused myself a bit there. So basically seeing verse 11 in the light of the two ways of looking at this potential problem as who the Antichrist is will give us a useful caution to not jump to conclusions incorrectly. I think I said verse two back a minute ago, which might have confused you. I do apologize. It is early in the morning. So let's look at verse 12. It says the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received the kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. So here again, we have another verse which drops serious doubt over the preterist view. I mean, not even serious doubt. It just knocks it out of the park. Ten kings who at the time of writing of the book of Revelation did not exist and will not exist until the rise of the Antichrist. Now, the early church fathers were very clear on this matter. The Antichrist would be identified when he becomes the ruler of seven and has the political power of ten kings added to him. No one as yet has fulfilled this prophecy. Therefore, the preterist argument here is, quite frankly, null and void. Now, what is also very interesting to note here is that these verses here in Revelation is a requote from the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verses 23 to 25. Thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms. So there again, it can't be the Roman Empire. And, and because if this kingdoms was is not and will be this fourth beast will not be like anything previously gone before and it says that this fourth beast will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it as for the 10 horns out of this kingdom 10 kings will arise and another will arise after them and he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law. And they will be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time, i.e. three and a half years of the tribulation. Anyway, that will do you for today. So that's given you plenty to think on. The Whore of Babylon is a fascinating subject and we will conclude this. In uh, another episode shortly, on in episode three of this chapter, where we'll bring this Whore of Babylon mystery to a conclusion. I mean, it is still a mystery, let's be honest. But through what we've looked at, through textual criticism, etc., it's giving us a clearer idea of what it's not, i.e. it's not a preterist argument. There's no, it cannot be historically fulfilled in AD 90. It's just not a thing, because it can't be. Because at that time, the emperor who was at that time, the text is clearly stating, This person was, but currently is not, and will be. This is a kingdom that was, currently is not, but will be. Therefore, it looks like it can't be Rome, but likely a resurrection of literal Babylon in the end of days. But we shall see as we unpack this. Okay, that'll do for today. God bless you. Have a great day, and I'll speak again soon. Bye-bye.